Let's go ahead and take our Bibles, and um, if you will turn to First Chronicles, First Chronicles. Um, while still pastoring at New Hope Bible Church, we began a series uh, on the prayers of the Bible, and um, and we uh, we got to the book of Joshua, and that's when our two groups merged together. Um, but it was just really interesting to go through and to look at. Um, the actual prayers that were that are quoted in the scriptures, and uh, anybody know where the where the first prayer of the Bible is? Um, that is not not a reference that somebody prayed, but where it gives their actual prayer. You know the actual words they pray. Anybody, anybody know offhand what the first prayer recorded in the Bible is? Offhand, anybody? It's in the book of Genesis, but it was uh, Abraham when he was interceding for Lot and for. You know, Lot's family. Um, that's the first, you know, recorded prayer as he was inter- interacting with the angel, who was, of course, the Lord uh, there talking to him. But um, tonight we're going to look at another prayer, uh, one of many recorded prayers in the Bible, and this is found in First Chronicles chapter four, uh, right in the midst of a genealogy of all places, and. It's interesting because when people, you know, first start reading the Bible, even after you've been reading it for a long time, one of the passages that people tend to skip over or just kind of read through real quickly are the genealogies, right? It usually doesn't seem like there's a whole lot of interest there, as, as important as they are, okay, in the text of Scripture. But um, oftentimes the Lord has hidden these little, little nuggets uh, inside the genealogies and, um, that you would miss if you didn't read each of the genealogies. And so, for example, in, uh, in Genesis, um, in the midst of a genealogy, there's a little story about Enoch stuck in there. I mean, a remarkable story, okay? But um, right there in a, in a genealogy. And so here also in First Chronicles, we have this, um, this little reference made to an individual and his prayer in the middle of a genealogy. So First Chronicles chapter 4, just going to look at two verses. It's the, it's the whole text. 1 Chronicles chapter 4, verse 9 and 10. 1 Chronicles 4, verses 9 and 10. It says, And Jabez was more honorable than his brethren, and his mother called his name Jabez, saying, Because I bear him with sorrow. And Jabez called on the God of Israel, saying, and here's his prayer, Oh, that thou wouldest bless me indeed, and enlarge my coast, and that thine hand might be with me, and that thou wouldest keep me from evil, that it may not grieve me. And God granted him that which he requested. And so, and then the genealogy continues. <laughs> and uh, so it's rather fascinating, this little story stuck here in the middle of the genealogy, uh, because it's the only place in the Bible where this individual Jabez is mentioned. This is it. And... Um, However, in just these two verses, there's quite a bit, actually, that is revealed about him, about his life, about his walk with God, and about his prayer. And so, um, he's kind of set forth here in a very positive way. He's set forth here as a, as a sort of model um, for others to follow. And um, so, we're going to take a look here to this evening at the life of and the prayer of this man named Jabez. So let's look first of all, if you're following with the notes that were given out, at the background 
of Jabez. And uh, we have to say, there's not a lot of background given, right? I mean, most times when prayers are given in the Bible, usually there's some historical context there. So you know more about the individual himself or herself, or there's more given about the circumstances. Um, It's usually part of a a story that's flowing through Scripture. So the prayer has uh, a lot more, there's a lot more information provided to appreciate how that prayer fits into the overall scope of Scripture. In this case, there's really not a lot of background given, um, except for what we can dig into these two verses itself. But there are a few things that we can pull out of this. First of all, concerning his background, we see that Jabez faced great trials early in his life. That's the first missing word in your notes there, okay? He faced great trials early in his life. The text says that um, his mother called his name Jabez. She says, because I bore him with sorrow. So he was born in the midst of suffering. Now, there's not other details given as to what the nature of that suffering was, what kind of trials or afflictions his mother or the family was going through, but it was significant enough that she actually chose the name Jabez for her child, okay, the name Sorrow for her child. So that means it had to be a pretty serious moment in their life, um, some pretty uh, uh, disastrous circumstances for her to pick that name for her son. Um, it's probably not too much to say that they were, she was personally or their family was on the brink of you know, some kind of uh, desperation at that point. So his name means sad or sorrowful or afflicted, and, um, which may also indicate something about Jabez's life as, as well. Generally, names in the Bible tend to indicate something more about the person in their, in their own life. So it may well be that Jabez's life Maybe he continued to face sorrows um, throughout a good portion of his life. Uh, that, that's often the way it runs in Scripture. But, um, but all we know is that there were certainly great trials in his family and that were surrounding his birth and probably their early part of his life at least. The second thing that we can tell about his background is that in spite of those trials, Jabez surpassed his brother's. So um, we know that he has brothers because the Bible mentions it. Um, And the only reference that's given to those brothers is that Jabez was more respected. That's the idea of surpassing. He was more respected or more honorable than his brothers. Now, we don't know anything else about the brothers. Their names aren't given. Their names aren't mentioned. But Jabez stands out above them in that in spite of the trials that characterized at least the initial part of his life, He did not give up. He did not lose hope. He did not turn away from the Lord. Um, We're going to see that he remained steadfast. We're going to see that he had a a genuine walk with God and and that the Lord did some great things for Jabez in spite of a very difficult beginning. And, um, And I think probably there's a reason why the Scriptures don't give specifics about the trials that he faced is because it allows us to be able to relate whatever our trials might be. You know, if they had said this is the specific trial he was going through, we might tend to think, well, it doesn't apply to me because I'm not going through that specific trial. But since none of us are spared from sorrows and difficulties in life, then every one of us can relate to Jabez and what he was facing. 
All right, so that's the background of Jabez. Okay, that's about all we know, but it's, it is significant what we do know. Secondly, let's look at the prayer of Jabez, which is recorded in verse number 10. And we need to point out that it's, it's not a particularly long prayer. Now, it could be that it was a little bit longer than this, and the Scriptures just, you know, kind of shortened, summarized it. But still, it doesn't appear to be a particularly long prayer. And again, it's not the length of prayers that impresses God. Um, there's other examples in the Bible of very short prayers, but that were, uh, that God honored and answered. But this prayer of Jabez reveals a number of things, a number of aspects of, of Jabez's life. So let's look at them. First of all, his prayer reveals his genuine relationship with God. Okay, that's not an overstatement. His prayer reveals a genuine relationship with God. His prayer shows that he knew God personally. That's the next missing word there. Shows that he knew God personally. Okay, his was not a mechanical prayer. It was not a, uh, an impersonal prayer. We see that he spoke to God as one who knew God. That becomes clear as we kind of go in and start to dissect his prayer a little bit. We also see from his prayer um, that his, confident was, was his confidence was in God and God alone. It just is, again, a, an example that we find throughout Scripture where uh, we're to pray to God only. Uh, you don't ever see people in the, in the Bible praying to some dead person, some dead saint, you know, um, and even less uh, to some idol. Uh, you don't see people in the Bible knocking on wood, you know, and saying, oh, I hope everything works out, you know. Um, his confidence was in God alone, and that's who he turns to. Okay, in the midst of this difficult life, um, seeking God's help and God's blessing, he turns to God and God alone because he knew him, and he knew he could trust him. His prayer, point B, his prayer also reveals the attitude of his heart. And I just want to point out real quickly that it's interesting that what he prays for is, in this particular prayer at least, essentially focused on himself. He's not really praying directly for other people here. And there's nothing wrong with that in Scripture. Um, while we obviously should be praying for other people, there's nothing wrong with praying for oneself. Sometimes you hear Christians who will say that. They say, oh, I feel you know, a little awkward praying for myself or something. Uh, the Bible's full of, of uh, requests that people make for themselves, and, and this is an example of that. But um, let's go ahead and look at, kind of dissect his prayer a little bit to see how it helps us to understand his attitude and what... Uh, what he was pursuing, what he was seeking in this prayer, okay? So the first phrase he uses, he says, may you bless me. And so Jabez desired God's blessing in his life. Okay, certainly a very legitimate <laughs> desire, very legitimate request. And, but he knew that he did not deserve it. That's the blank in your sheet there. He knew he did not deserve it. So he doesn't go to God and, and order God Okay, this is a, this is a request. Okay, he's asking, he's not, he's not demanding. Um, sometimes in, in certain Christian circles, there's a thing called authority prayers. You know, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of kind of prayers going on out there that we don't even know about in, in churches like our own. Um, but, you know, fads that kind of go through Christian movements and stuff. But there's a thing called authority prayers where people go to God and they tell God what to do. I mean, really, they, they go to Him with authority. And um, they command Him, in a sense. Um, that was not... That was not Jabez's attitude. Okay, he didn't go to God to command God. He went to God to, to make a request. But what he was requesting was, was perfectly good and legitimate. And so um, he asked God for his, his favor. Um, he then goes on and says, May you enlarge my coast. 
And the reference, the idea here um, seems to be that Jabez desired to be able to go further in his service for God. He, he desired to accomplish more in what he, was, uh, what he was seeking to do for the Lord. And so he desired to pursue goals which would ultimately bring glory to God. And so you could actually call this request kind of a holy ambition, okay? So he's asking God to enlarge his coast, okay? Whatever the specific application of his life was, we don't know. But he was basically saying, God, you know, enlarge my possibilities. Increase my vision. Allow me even greater opportunities for service. And because in his prayer, it's obvious that he's seeking to honor God in all this, I think that that phrase, a holy ambition, is the right way to put it. That his goals were in line with God's will for his life, and so his request was one meant to honor the Lord. And so, um, you know, we have examples like that throughout Scripture of people that made requests and um, uh, in their desire to go further in their service for God. Uh, I think in like Acts chapter 4, after uh, the apostles had been arrested and threatened and persecuted and they were released and they go back to the church and the church begins and they all pray together and what they ask for as they go to prayer is not that the person would, persecution would be lifted or would stop. They ask for, instead for greater boldness in sharing the word of God. Okay, they wanted their coast to be enlarged. They wanted still greater opportunities of service. Um, or again, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians he writes to the Corinthians and says, but we desire our prayers that we might go beyond you and reach other regions still with the gospel. Okay, again, a holy ambition. We want to enlarge our coasts. We want for the gospel to go even further than where it is now. And so, God, I'm asking you, how can I be used in that? Open up other areas of service so that I can be part of seeing your work go forward, your kingdom advanced, uh, your gospel being preached. That seems to be effectively the, the nature of Jabez's request, Lord, enlarge my coasts. And so in our own life, you know, there can be lots of different ways that that might apply. At one point, uh, when we were serving the Lord in France, um, we, we needed a new, new vehicle, but there were a lot of people in France that didn't have cars, um, surprisingly. The, the public transportation was so efficient, they would generally take public transportation where they needed to go. So Quite a few people didn't have cars, but on Sundays, there wasn't much public transportation, so for them to come to church, it was, a, it was a real challenge. So we ended up going out and picking people up to bring them to church, and our, the vehicle we had wasn't adequate, and so we asked the Lord to provide the funds for a larger vehicle, and, um, but truly with the desire to be able to allow to bring more people into the Lord. And uh, it's amazing. We ended up, the Lord provided a nine-seater van but it's amazing how many people you can fit into a nine-seater van. You pack them in there. You know, I think we got up to, what, 14, Lori, or 15, something like that. And uh, didn't meet all the safety codes, but <laughs> got them to church. But, you know, just lots of different ways that, you know, we might, it might be something that affects our personal life, but it, the ultimate goal is to be able to better serve the Lord. And, um, and those are the requests that God uh, delights to answer. And so each of us, it is perfectly good, legitimate for each of us to desire that God would enlarge our coasts, okay, that we would always be abounding in the work of the Lord. And so, you know, ask yourself the question, what spiritual projects, what spiritual goals are you pursuing right now? 
for which you need and desire God's blessing to see them come to pass. Those are legitimate, perfectly uh, God-honoring requests to bring to God. And that's what was the case for Jabez. He then goes on in his prayer and says, may your hand be with me. And it's an interesting uh, phrase, expression. Uh, it's actually an expression which is found, a concept which is found uh, a lot in the Old Testament. And um, uh, maybe just take a, take a second to look at a, another example. In Ezra, if you just turn to Ezra for a moment here. Um, he speaks several times of this concept, the hand of God being with him. Look in Ezra uh, chapter 7, for example. Ezra chapter 7. Verse number 8, Ezra chapter 7, starting verse number 8. It says, He came to Jerusalem in the fifth month, which was in the seventh year of the king. For upon the first day of the first month began he to go up from Babylon. And on the first day of the fifth month came he to Jerusalem, according to the good hand of his God upon him. For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it, and to teach in Israel statutes and judgments. So it's interesting when the Bible talks about the good hand of God being upon Ezra, it then goes on to explain what that looked like in his life, okay? It's because he was fully devoted to the Lord. He desired to serve, the God, serve God in a new capacity going to leaving Babylon and going back to, to Jerusalem. And, uh, and he could testify that God's hand was upon him. That's what, that's what Jabez was requesting. Um, look again in Ezra chapter, uh, same chapter, uh, verse 27. So we're still chapter 7. Look at verse 27. So it says, this is Ezra praying now, and he says, Blessed be the Lord God of our fathers, which hath put such a thing as this in the king's heart to beautify the house of the Lord which is in Jerusalem, and hath extended mercy unto me before the king and his counselors and before all the king's mighty princes, And I was strengthened as the hand of the Lord my God was upon me, and I gathered together out of Israel chief men to go up with me. So again, Ezra is giving an example of what it means to have God's hand upon him, and that's what Jabez was praying for. Okay, so Jabez, as he makes that short statement, it says, God, may your hand be upon me. That's the kind of thing that he had in mind. Okay, that God would open up doors, that God would even move the heart of the king to show favor upon that, uh, you know, that project that Ezra had undertaken. And um, so that's what Jabez desired. That's what he was asking for. And so going back to your notes there, um, Jabez's desire was to stay in the will of God. Okay, that's the word missing in your notes. In the will of God, and he knew that without God's good hand upon him, his greatest goals and ambitions could not succeed. All right, so again, if we want the goals that we have, the projects, the plans that we have to come to fruition, and especially to bring glory to God, then we definitely need for God's hand to be upon us. And, um, but again, the key is this. If we desire for God's hand to be upon us, then just like Ezra, we must prepare our hearts to seek the law of the Lord as he did. And our goal should be to strengthen the hands of those around us, to be a blessing to those around us, as was the case of Nehemiah. I think the notes have the other reference in Nehemiah about him. Um, So, Ezra, uh, I'm sorry, Jabez continues with his prayer. He says, may you bless me. May you enlarge my coast. May your hand be with me. And then he says, may you keep me from evil that it may not grieve me. 
And again, this is a really significant, a really weighty phrase, request that Jabez mentions here. So Jabez had grasped two important biblical principles when it comes to sin. Okay, and they're enumerated in your notes there. Number one, he had understood that it's pointless to pray if we have not confessed and forsaken our sin. Okay, and that's what the Bible says repeatedly, right? So I put some references in your notes. Psalm 66, 18 says, if I, if I regard or if I cherish iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. So God says he will not answer prayer if we're harboring some kind of unconfessed sin in our life. Again, in Proverbs 28, 13, the text says, He that covers his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesses and forsakes them shall have mercy. And so again, the Bible says if we hide our sin, we won't prosper. We can't hope for God to bless and work the way that he would desire if we're not confessing and forsaking whatever sin might be present in our life. And so Jabez understood that principle. And that's why in his prayer, he makes this request and say, God, keep me from evil. Okay, I don't want evil to, to bring grief into my life because first and foremost, it's going to grieve you and I'll suffer the consequences for that. And so he says, keep evil far from me. So he understood that it's pointless to pray if we haven't confessed and forsaken our sin. Secondly, the other principle, he understood that sin always comes with a high price tag. Sin always comes with a high price tag. And so again, the Scripture is full of warnings. In Numbers, it says, be sure your sin will find you out. In Galatians, it says, be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever man sows, that shall he also reap. And so Jabez had understood that, that he, he needed to keep a short list of sins before God. He understood that if, if he allowed sin in his life, that it would sap his, his spiritual life and it would bring a sure and inevitable destruction. It's interesting that today um, the government requires uh, certain companies to indicate on the labels the, uh, the potential dangers of their products that they're selling. And so tobacco companies, right, they're required to put a warning on there, you know, that tobacco might be bad for your health, you know. Um, and alcohol, you know, they're required to put on a warning if you don't drink in moderation, you know, you might face some terrible consequences. And, I, and I, that's good. I mean, it's, that's a positive thing. It's... it's almost seems silly that you'd have to tell people what's obvious, but, uh, but it's a positive thing. But there's a lot more things, a lot more sins that, that um, infect our society and that creep into our lives that are just as devastating as tobacco or alcohol, but that don't come with a warning. And so whether it's immorality whether it's uh, bitterness that's being harbored, whether it's gossip or jealousy or pride, there's no warning labels on those things, are there? And yet, uh, how devastating they can be. And Jabez understood that. Jabez understood that sin in any form would 
bring terrible consequences and would destroy what he was hoping to accomplish in his life. And so his desire, as he states in his prayer, was to be kept from sin. Again, that's exactly what God says we should pray for. Jesus, when he, when he gave the Lord's Prayer, one of the phrases he puts in there is he says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So again, it's perfectly legitimate for every Christian to pray every day for that. To start the day off and say, Lord, keep me from evil. God, I know my heart's deceitful and desperately wicked. So Lord, I'm asking you, keep me from evil today. Keep me from temptation. Help me to walk uprightly before you. And so Jabez brings this relatively short prayer, but very, very meaningful prayer to God. And we come to see now the blessing that God granted to Jabez. And the text tells us very clearly at the end of verse number 10, it says, and God granted him that which he requested. So first of all, we can see point A, God granted him, granted him all that he requested. Everything that he asked for, it says God granted him that which he requested. All of it. I guess if we were to paraphrase his prayer, it could be summarized in this way. He's saying, God, grant me your blessing as I seek to serve you better. May your will be done in my life, and above all, keep me from sin. And so it was a prayer that was tailored to honor God. It was a prayer that reflected God's will, God's moral will, God's perfect will for this man and for for every one of us. And so God delighted to honor his request. Not only that, but point B, God preserved this prayer in Scripture as a model for every believer. And so God put it here in the text, in the middle of the genealogy, the guy was like, you know, this prayer is too good to skip over, you know, and so even though it's an awkward place to put it in the middle of genealogy, that's the only place Jabez is mentioned, I might as well put it right here, so, so he snuck it in there, you know. But he put it there because it is a model prayer for each of us. And so um, this is a phenomenal truth about prayer, that as we pray biblically, in the sense that as we pray according to God's will, we can be sure that God will grant us that which we request. Okay, Jabez's prayer reflected what reflected God's will as he revealed it in the Bible. God gave him what he requested. And the Bible says repeatedly that if we pray according to God's will, if we pray biblically, which is, I believe is one reason why it's very profitable to study the prayers of the Bible, to actually see what people requested as they went to God in prayer, But as we pray according to God's revealed will, we can be sure that God will honor and answer those requests. Just a couple verses real quickly, look at that. 1 John chapter 3. Turn to the back of your Bible real quick. 1 John chapter 3, verse 22. 1 John chapter 3, verse 22 And it says, whatsoever we ask, we receive of him. Why? Because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. 
Okay, that was Jabez. Okay, he was seeking to keep God's commandments, to be pleasing to God, and so whatever he asked, God gave it to him. 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5, verse 14. And this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And if we know that he hears us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. So the Bible is really clear, very dogmatic about this. If our prayer reflects God's will as it's revealed in the Bible, if our prayer is tailored in order to honor God, to bring glory to his name, to advance our service for him, God says, you can know I'm going to answer it. That's exactly the type of thing I want you to be praying about. And so, you know, as you go through the Bible, look at different prayers or different uh, aspects of God's will, um, it's important to take note of those things that God desires for us, those good things that God promises us. We can pray confidently for those things. Um, you know, oftentimes when we pray for healing for people, uh, we, we don't always know exactly how to pray or know that God will definitely bring healing because God didn't promise healing for everybody all the time. That's never a promise that God made. So when we do pray for a person for healing, we inevitably, you know, add, well, God, you know, if you will, you know, if this is part of your will, then allow this. But, but we know that it's not something God necessarily promised, so we can't be sure of somebody's physical healing, for example. But on the other hand, there are many examples um, when the Bible talks about, you know, how husbands are to love their wives or wives are to honor their husbands. That's God's express will for us, right? So if I go to God and say, God, I'm asking you, mold my heart and, and, and make me to be a better husband that I would love my wife and honor her the way I should, you can be sure that's a prayer that God wants to answer. For a young person to ask God and say, God, I want to, I want to be a young person who honors my parents. You know, help me, to, show me how I can better honor my parents. You can be sure God's going to answer that prayer. Probably at the second the young person's praying it, God will speak something into their heart and say, well, how about this? <laughs> and say, oh, yeah. But surely God will answer a prayer because that's exactly what he wants young people to do. As a worker, to go to God and say, God, I want you to be glorified as I go to work today. I want to have, the, have a right testimony in front of my fellow workers. I want to be somebody that's known for integrity and honesty. You can be sure God's going to answer and direct because that's perfectly in line with what God reveals in his word about his will for us. So again, there's many specific areas of Scripture that as we would incorporate those in our prayer and say, Lord, I'm asking you to enlarge my coast. Allow me to go further in my service for you in this particular area. As God has revealed that in Scripture, we can know for sure that God desires and delights to answer it, and he will provide an answer. And so those are requests that we should be incorporating into our prayers, things that we should be focusing on as we come before the Lord. And so as we close tonight, here's kind of the, the main truth I'd like to underline and, and leave you with, and that I hope really is an encouragement to each one of us, and that is really kind of what we just read. If we ask anything according to the will of God, and if our desire is to honor God 
by keeping his commandments, by accomplishing his will, we can be assured that our prayer will be answered. And I find that to be incredibly encouraging, incredibly strengthening as I go to the Lord and would ask, bring my requests to him.